Hi, and welcome to the Writers Forum on WRBH. I'm David Benedetto, and today I am joined by author Claudia Gray to talk about her latest novel, Defy the Stars. The book follows teen soldier Noemi Vidal as she grapples with an interstellar war to defend her home planet against Earth's robotic armies. How are you doing today? I'm doing fine. How are you? I'm doing great. Um, So to get us started, uh, when did you start writing this novel? I started having the idea, at least, for this novel right after Prometheus came out. Ah, did you see this movie? I did. I did. It's not a good movie. <laughs> it, it really isn't. But you could tell that both Michael Fassbender, who was playing the robot, and uh, Numi Rapace, who was sort of the lead character, they were in a better movie that they were trying to drag into this movie, mm-hmm. but they couldn't quite do it. And... Uh, Numi Rapace's character was supposed to be a very religious person. This was portrayed with all the subtlety that Hollywood usually gives this topic, which is to say about zero. Mm -hmm. But during the entire movie, I thought, well, if you're going to have a really religious person interacting with a robot that seems to have personality and feelings, at some point they're going to ask the question, what does she make of him? Does she consider him a person? Does she think he has a soul or not? And, of course, they did not answer that question at all. They preferred to have scientists stick their faces down in alien pods like real scientists real would. Smart, real smart people, you know. Yeah, exactly. So I thought, well, if Ridley Scott doesn't want to tell that story, I do. Oh, cool. And so how long did it take you to write this novel then? When I really sat down to it, probably in terms of both planning and writing, a little bit over a year. Okay. And what went into that process? Were you looking at a lot of theory um, regarding AI and uh, consciousness of, of, of machines or cyborg-like uh, intelligences? Not specifically. Yeah. I have read a fair bit of that just due to a life spent as an enormous geek. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that part comes naturally. I didn't do a whole lot because I did sort of want him to be able in this in this story I wanted him to be very much his own thing. And also, I knew that this was not going to be hard science fiction. Uh, You have the whole gamut from things that are just a little bit off hard sci-fi, like 2001, all the way through to Star Wars, where there is canonically oxygen-consuming fire in outer space. Yeah. You know, uh, it's just how badly are you going to abuse science? Uh, and so, and with that one, I didn't actually feel like I was going to be abusing it over much because we really still are working out exactly what that's going to be in terms mm-hmm. of artificial intelligences. But uh, yeah, just plain old nerdery provided a lot of, of background there. No, I think that's interesting. And speaking of like hard and more of the soft sci-fi, uh, which do you prefer to read? Mostly softer sci-fi. You know, it can get so soft where I'm like, really, this is just... Implausible. This this is a fantasy novel in space, which is fine, but it doesn't really need space. Um, I have read hard science fiction books that I've enjoyed a great deal, but that's not what I usually gravitate to. And also, I've always known that is not, for me, that's not a thing that I'm going to be able to write not without going back for a graduate degree, and I really think I've spent enough time in grad schools. <laughs> I get that. I get that. Oh, yeah. Um, well, tell me about writing in these two different points of view uh, throughout the book. Uh, how do you maintain that as a writer, uh, and how do you get in these separate spaces and make sure that you're not overlapping? Right. Five the Stars is half Noemi's POV and half Abel's POV. Mm-hmm. Um For the most part, I made sure that chronologically they line up very much. The only time it doesn't is during a part in the book when they are separated and it's sort of easy to work around that. But, of course, the main thing was that 
Noemi's point of view is going to be that of a young person who has fought a lot, a young person who basically does not value her own life because she's been taught to, that she's supposed to be sacrificing it and throwing it away mm-hmm. in the name of this greater cause. And then you have, and of course, she's very human. She is a religious person. Um, her colony world is trying to get independence from Earth, which means that she is now a member of the second Catholic Church because you can't really communicate with the Pope anymore at that point. So uh, the second Catholic Church. And whereas with Abel, he's looking at things not totally from a mechanistic point of view, but he's going to analyze things very differently. He's not going to know exactly what to make of his emotional input. Uh, I really value the Kirkus review of this book, which was a great review, but my favorite line was, Abel is delightfully passive aggressive. <laughs> you know, he can't. His programming won't let him actually rebel, but he can say what he wants. Oh. So that was fun. So, uh, you know, she's very free and active and human and feels in some way a little bit younger, uh, whereas Abel is, he's more, how do I put it? He's more analytical, mm-hmm. but at the same time, when it comes to emotional things, because they're fairly new to him, he is in some ways. Uh, almost naive. Yeah, so he's not a monolith uh, no. in any sense. Yeah. No, he's not. That's going to be fun to write, uh, oh, you know, switching to, between oh, yeah. those. Is, oh, yeah. is writing a fun activity for you? It is, actually, which is atypical. Most people enjoy having written more than writing. Yes. I mean, I do too, but I do enjoy the process of writing. I enjoy getting into it, and and it's always a discovery. It's always a chance to do something, to have something come out of the story that you didn't even realize was there. Yeah. Uh, I think it was Stephen King who was like, yes, you write when inspiration strikes, and in- inspiration strikes when you are at the keyboard working, mm-hmm. you know, and that is true. I, I do enjoy that process, and the more I'm able to change things up, the better. Do you have any rules that you kind of abide by to keep you, like, writing, or is it just like, are you uh, very disciplined at this point to do it? Or, or I guess, uh, let me reframe that. Um when you were first starting writing, mm-hmm. uh, how did you keep yourself at the keyboard and writing and keep at it? Oh, gosh. I mean, now deadlines do all the work. Oh, yes. Those all help. the work. <laughs> you just hang that willpower right there. There you go. Uh, in the beginning, though, like I said, I really do enjoy writing. Mm-hmm. And I began my writing with fan fiction. You're familiar with this? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So much fanfic did I write. So much. And I really learned a lot through it. Not everything I needed to know to become a professional writer, but I learned, I I really think one of the biggest things about learning how to write is learning who you are as a writer. What kind of stories engage you? What kind of characters do you find easiest to write about? Do you work well in the morning or the evening? Do you need to outline or do you need to work it out as you go? These are really important lessons, and you don't learn them any other way than by doing. And so fan fiction let me do that. And another thing it did was it taught me the heft of a story, the weight of a story. Because I remember I used to always want to write a novel, but I thought, how does anybody think of that much story? I couldn't even imagine it, and I didn't know what that would entail. But then I wrote my first novel-length fanfic, and I was like, Oh, that's what about 90,000 words feels like. It has about this much plot complexity, about this much movement. All right. And once I knew that, that helped me go forward. And that actually is invaluable. I've had many, many people, even people who've published a few books, start on an idea that they felt was going to be novel length and is not or is way too big for the novel that they have. It's, It's a good gift knowing that. So what fueled me at first was just wild fanish mania. 
Uh, <laughs> which, is, which is, I think is a great thing. Oh, um, yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's like someone needs to tell the stories of Angel the Vampire and it will be me. <laughs> you know. <laughs> me. No, I love that, that um, writing fan fiction kind of gives you that basis. You're, you're writing mm-hmm. with a net, basically, because you have these structures underneath mm-hmm. and that make it just a little bit less daunting. You know, it's still daunting, obviously. Uh, but I, I'm really interested by a lot of writers in the post-2000s with the the rise of fanfics and live mm-hmm. journal and the like. Yeah. I, I think we'll be seeing a lot of people that had that same kind of inspiration being like, this was kind of my, my training into writing something beyond that, uh, which yeah. is really cool. I think it had been true for longer than that, but yeah. I think people are finally admitting it. Yes. Uh, actually, I remember way back in the day, because I got into it with the X-Files back when you were on America Online. Yes, I remember. <laughs> a 2400 baud modem, about as fast as chiseling cuneiform onto <laughs> a stone tablet. Uh, and there was a the little folder, Alt-TV X-Files Creative, yes. that you would go into. And then you had a little chat area for it. And this one guy who was a big science fiction editor used to come in there, uninvited, obviously, and just tell all of us we were wasting our time and none of us were ever (laughs) going to be published writers. We were never going to get anywhere if we were wasting our time with this. Like, he kept doing this over and over. And anyway, one of the friends I made in that chat room is now one of my professional editors. And Ah. every once in a while, we talk about that guy and we laugh. As you should, yes. I, I believe wholeheartedly. <laughs> yes. Um, well, um, speaking of uh, writing, you had mentioned before uh, about books that turn into series. Mm-hmm. Um, how is that for you, like writing and continuity? Because you've written, uh, I think, three or four series at this point. Yes, this is the beginning of my fourth. Ah, series. so this is going to be a series as well. Yes, All right. it is. Okay. Yes. Um, well, it's interesting because when I broke in, young adult was still very new. And there was still a very strong focus on series, which there is still in young adult, but not quite as much as it was at that point. So I began thinking in terms of series from the beginning. And really, though, the thing that I've learned doing it with my first series, I plotted so much out at the very, very beginning. I was yeah. like, yes, I know it all from the start. And I think especially science fiction nerds, we like to think, yes, it was all part of one master <laughs> plan. But the truth is you're going to have better ideas yeah. as you go. You're going to discover more things in the story and have new inspirations. And if you've plotted yourself so tightly that you can't work that in well, you haven't done your story or your readers a big service. And yeah. there were several points in the first series. You know, I'm happy with it. I think readers have been happy with it. But there were several points where I thought if I had left myself a little bit more room here, we could be doing something much more fun right now. Yeah. And so with each series of actually – planned out a little bit less of how how much forward we're going to go. I know a couple of big points. I know we need to get to this. I know we need to get to that. But I I trust the world. I trust the characters to tell me what's ahead. That's so interesting. Um, it's a little daunting, too, though, because it's like, I hope this works out, you know, towards yeah. the end of it. I um, hope I'll, I'll figure out how to do that. I can only imagine, like, George R.R. R. Martin, like, sitting in his shed right oh now and just being like, now everybody's watching me do this. Oh, God, you know? I know. I know. <laughs> he needs to just do the Ralph the Wonder Llama ending. Have you ever seen? You've seen Monty Python and the yes, Holy Grail. Yes, yes, I have. <laughs> the credits are all slow and solemn, and then they bring in the Ralph the Wonder Llama credits <laughs> to end it. Yeah, sometimes it just feels like, da, da, da. No, you have to do this. Yes. Bring, bring it on. It's fine. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I do always wonder what happens if you get there and you don't have the idea. But, yeah. but that has not happened. And part of the trick is building a big enough world that you know you're going to be able to find more fun things with it. With Defy the Stars, you've got a lot of different colony worlds. You've got yeah. a lot of different possibilities 
for the artificial intelligence. You have a lot of internal politics on Noemi's world genesis that don't really come in in the first book, but do in the second. Uh, so you And you have the vagabonds who are basically people living in spaceships. They don't have worlds to settle on. So they're just roaming the galaxy and they sort of have this weird tribal culture of their own. So I know there are lots and lots of things for me to go and dig into. Let the chaos happen. Exactly. And get there. Exactly. I'm, like, I'm putting final edits on the second book right now. And I already see many, many things to cover in the third and final book and to the point where I'm like, I hope I can cover it all in the third and final book. <laughs> we'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Um, well, to digress a little bit, um, we have written a couple of books for the newly invigorated Star Wars franchise. Yes. Um, how was that experience for you? That was really fun. Uh, you know, you get this email out of the blue. It's like, hi, this is Lucasfilm. Would you like to write Star Wars, which is what you used to do for free, but now we will pay you <laughs> real money with which you can buy objects and services? Yeah. You know? I was like, yes, I would love to do this. Uh, and it's been really enjoyable. It's been a little weird. I knew that a lot of people read Star Wars books. I knew this because I owned many yes. Star Wars books. You know, So I was cognizant of that, but I did not appreciate how many until I did it. Mm -hmm. I really did not realize how many people were going to show up and how many people I would hear from. And it's also really nice because you reach non-readers. Uh, I have multiple tweets or emails from people saying, I haven't finished a book in five years. I haven't finished a book in 10 years. I had one person said, I never finished a novel before. Yeah. You know, and that's really great to have somebody who is not usually a reader get into something and enjoy it. That's, yeah, that's a privilege. That's great. So do you know all the secrets? I know some secrets. Uh, obviously, if I were to begin to utter any of them, Lucasfilm lawyers would come in through the, the ceiling. Swooping, yeah, yes. <laughs> like repelling gear and trank guns and it would all be over. Uh, but I did learn some things. I'm currently uh, working on my third Star Wars novel, which was just announced last weekend. Oh, wow. uh, yeah. Uh, and it's a young adult novel about Princess Leia and how she first became involved with the Rebellion. Oh, that is so cool. Oh, yeah. Because by, when, by the time we see her in Star Wars, A New Hope, she's 19 and she's already a veteran. Yeah. She's, she's fairly senior. She's in that kicking butt, you know. Yeah. It's, uh... Exactly. And you have to say, like, how did that happen? How did she get into this position? And so uh, I get to talk about that with That's her. So much fun. What's the, kind of the 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 editing process? Because you know, since the I guess the canon has become uh, very much more important than it was in mm -hmm. the you know seventies to to nineties, when everybody could write something, just get a permission waived. Uh, what's the process of like drafting the story uh, on your end and working with the Lucas uh, team on the other end? Yeah, when they first contacted me, I assumed they were going to give me some sort of outline and just say, do this, which is not the case at all, actually. Oh, yeah. They come to you more or less with a prompt. It was very short in the case of Lost Stars and now the young adult novel, which is called Leia, Princess of Alderaan. Uh, it was a little more extensive in the second book, Bloodline, which mm -hmm. was about Princess Leia becoming General Organa. It's about seven years before The Force Awakens, how she got there. And obviously that had a little bit more detail that I had to work in. But it's more, can you tell a story that would hit these points? And yeah. sometimes it's only two or three points. It's not much. Interesting. Uh, so I come up with an outline. Or now that I've done this a couple times, I actually send a few questions out like, could I use this? What about that? Is that character available? You know, does this, this exist time. at that point? Yeah. And they'll give me that information. I turn in an outline. And then uh, 
Lucasfilm has people that coordinate to make sure that canon lines up between the books and the movies and the video games, all of it, uh, the TV show. And they come back and tell you where you may be in some trouble with that. Like on the first, on the first book on Lost Stars, I had Darth Vader's flagship, the Devastator, which is the great big Star Destroyer you see at the very beginning of the first movie, mm-hmm. that big thing. And I thought, well, here it is. It's doing this. And you know, they wrote back and they're like, no, it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, it's an imaginary ship that only exists in our brains. Why isn't it there? And they're like, nope, it's somewhere else. And as a writer, that's very unusual to have something in your imagination and just have them be like, wrong. No, that's no. try again, you know. Yeah, exactly. And, of course, sometimes I've overshot, like, uh, with Bloodline, I want to get all into Ben Solo, a.k.a. Kylo Ren. Mm-hmm. And they're like, you realize that we're going to be doing this in movies, right? Back so. up. Back up. <laughs> Yeah, get in your lane. It's exactly. Okay. <laughs> it's like, please think about this. It's like, oh, fine. Uh, whatever. It's, it's yeah. good. We'll, we'll do what you want. Star yeah. Wars. Um, well, exactly. Cool. You know, and uh, and they look over the final product to make sure because sometimes canon shifted a little bit between the time of the outline. You know, something else may have come out that influences that in a way you didn't realize. So you've got to recalculate and go a through. little bit. Uh, but yeah, so they they make sure of all of that. Unfortunately, I don't have to worry about it very much. Well, that's good. And there's also like the big benefit of it. You know, working in somebody else's world with Defy the Stars, for instance, I had to think, like, how will you design this ship? What's it going to look like? What is all this going to be? With Star Wars, I'm like, what ship is it? And they send back pictures of it. You know, they know the crew component. They know what it would look like. Maybe they even have blueprints. Wow. Yeah, so it's just done and done. Okay, that's great. So it's like yeah. doing the groundwork for you a lot of the ways. Just being like, okay, this is great. Um, oh, cool. yeah. Yeah, I mean, George Lucas was the master world builder. That's a really, really rich universe to play mm-hmm. in. And a lot of great artists and Imagineers, I guess you would say, have done incredible work on that. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering for, for young listeners that might be listening at the moment, uh, what recommendations you would give to them as far as starting out writing? Um, and getting into it. Do you have anything that you'd like to offer? I do have advice. It's going to sound really elementary, Mm -hmm. but it really is the only thing that there is. Uh, The first thing is read everything you can. The number of people who want to write books but do not read regularly is so much higher than you would think is possible. And that's not going to work at all. It's not that you need to read a book and go, oh, I'm taking notes on the foreshadowing or whatever, like it's a term paper. It's not like that. But you need to read and read and read and read, A, because you don't know where inspiration is going to come from. I read a nonfiction book about oceanography that wound up playing into, you know, a young adult novel I wrote a few years back. Mm -hmm. I didn't pick up that book thinking that was going to have anything to do with anything. Um, But also in terms of your fiction, it... You, that's how you find out what kinds of stories you most relate to, what kind of characters. And you'll just internally absorb, hey, that's kind of how you build up a big surprise or, oh, hey, this is about how you pace something. You really learn that by experiencing it. So you just need to read and read and read and read. And then the second thing is to write as much as you possibly can because, again, you have to learn who you are as a writer which is important, and you don't learn that any other way than by writing your way through it. Yeah. And also, you know, a lot of people go, oh, I don't have time to write a book. You know, I'm a full-time author. I don't have time to write a book either. Nobody has time <laughs> to write a book. Everything else is like, no, do this now. No, do that now. And the book is just there, sort of this thing on the horizon. And I'm not going to say you have to write every day. A lot of writers do. I don't. 
Um, I find a lot of times I'm better having two really heavy days and then sort of a day off or something like that. But you have to be writing regularly enough that you're figuring out who you are as a writer and that you're making regular progress on your projects and you're moving forward Mm -hmm. with them because otherwise you get stuck working on the exact same thing for a really long time and you're maybe not learning as much as you could learn or you get tired of it because you weren't meant to spend this much time with that story. Yeah. Um, Yeah, you have to be able to – and also if you – make a practice of writing as much as you possibly can, you stop asking the question, when will I find time to write? You're going to be writing when you don't have to do something else. Yes. You begin automatically carving out that time, and that's really critical. Building that habit and making sure, like, you're not questioning right. when I will have because you definitely will have time to write, so you can't avoid it anymore. Exactly, um, exactly. Do you like working on projects, like, all in one go, or do you have multiple things juggling at the same time? I'm usually only writing, writing, like really in with the prose of one book at a time. But sometimes I can be like right now I'm finishing writing Defy the Worlds and I'm editing Leia, Princess of Alderaan. I can do that. That's slightly different skill sets that are being pulled on there. And sometimes I can be writing one thing and plotting another, coming up with very preliminary outline stuff. So I can overlap in that way. And a lot of times that's invigorating. But in terms of really, really writing, one at a time. Yeah. Um, Being in New Orleans, you you live here. Oh, yeah. Um, I was wondering if there's a certain place in the city that you go to kind of clear your head and try and find inspiration. Oh, gosh. I mean, at this point in my career, I think clearing my head may just be... A lost cause. I think. I think it's all over there. Uh, you know, I I write at coffee shops like every other writer in existence. Even though I have a home office, mm-hmm. there are times when you just have to get away from the television set. You just have to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I go to the parks a lot. I'll be walking my dog around Audubon Park or City Park and trying to work things out. That's actually a really good way to do it. I have a writer friend who hikes. He lives uh, in mountainous country in the in Colorado. Uh-huh. And so he goes out for a hike and dictates the whole time. You know, we are somewhat short on mountains here, so hiking is not an option. But <laughs> you go to Monkey Hill and just like sit on top of it for uh-huh. a bit. <laughs> Look, I'm atop the levee. I've summited. You know, uh but walking and having sort of that low level physical activity, a lot of times that's very useful. Okay. Interesting. Oh, to kind of wrap us up, we're short on time. I was oh, wondering okay. um what you're reading right now and also what's next for you. Right now, I am reading an an older fantasy novel called Bridge of Birds by Barry. I can't remember how to say his last name. It's like Hugart, like Hugh A R T. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, it's it's a few decades old, I think, but it's very original, very interesting. It's sort of rooted in Chinese traditions, but it's not China. It's not supposed to be China. Okay. It's its own little world. Uh, and nonfiction, I'm reading The Berlin Diary of, oh, um, oh my goodness, William Shire. I have no, no, what's that about? Uh, it's a, he was a World War II commentator. Well, he didn't know he was a World War II commentator. He but thought he, he was a Germany commentator. Ah, okay. And it's him uh, writing down in his diary how things are changing and what he's observing. You know, uh, he works with Edward R. Murrow and, you know, there are scenes like we went out and got drunk in Paris and asked why no one could see the danger. And I have to tell you, it's sort of ominous reading, but uh, it's it's very interesting. Yeah, and I can imagine that. I've got a, mm-hmm. uh, a book just sent to the station. It's the um, diary selections from Stalingrad oh my uh, during the, the occupation. And it's 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 daunting and, and harrowing and, and, and 
tragic. That, yeah, that's not a beach read. No, not quite, not quite. It's one you you have to be really interested in uh, observing human suffering for yes. that it is, but important, obviously. Mm-hmm. I can say the next thing on my list, yeah. if, if people are looking for, say, a young adult recommendation, mm-hmm. uh, the next thing on my list is Strange the Dreamer oh, by okay. Lainey Taylor. I have sneaked in a couple of the initial chapters. Again, fantasy, again, very intriguingly drawn and original. Oh, yeah. Uh, I would definitely recommend that one. Oh, fantastic. And well, what about you? What, what's I know you have uh, Balea book coming up mm-hmm. uh, and also the next segment of Defy the Stars. When, right. when can we expect that? Uh, let's see. Leia, Princess of Alderaan comes out September 1st Okay. on Force Friday. That's what they call it. Nice. Yeah. Uh, and then Defy the Worlds, which will be the second novel in this series, will come out probably at the start of April in 2018. Fantastic. And... Um, you know, I have other projects that I'm planning on working on, but it's been two books a year for, I think, the last four years for me. And I'm actually taking a couple months off this summer, which okay. I haven't done in a while. I really look forward to just sitting around thinking about nothing. It's going to be great. That's good. Good yeah. for you. Are you yeah. going on any trips or anything? I'm doing a lot of business travel. I'm going to a lot of young adult festivals and Comic-Cons to okay. support the books. That work I am doing. Yeah. But I'm not, no, it will be a staycation, as uh, they call it. So you are clearing your head a little bit at least. Yes. yes. We're going to see. If it can be cleared, <laughs> it will be done. Well, awesome, Claudia. Well, thank you so much for being here. Uh, the, the book is fantastic. I'm excited for people to hear about it. So. Oh, thank you for having me. Oh, no problem. That was author Claudia Gray, author of Defy the Stars, which is out now. And you were listening to the Writers Forum on WRBH. Uh, you can catch us every Thursday at 4.30 p.m., Saturday at 8.30 a.m., and depending on Tulane Baseball, Sunday at 1 p.m. You can also find us online at soundcloud.com, at soundcloud.com slash Radio, as well as on iTunes and Google Play. I'm David Benedetto. Until next time.